The call is for individuals to work hard and earn a lot of money, but for what purpose? To advance the kingdom of God. That's the reason you want to make money, for His glory. Don't shirk hard work. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. God's original intent and good plan for humankind from the beginning was to work. We don't work to earn anything from God, rather we work because of God's grace. Here's David with part two of an inspiring message called, The Perils of Being a Treasure Hunter. So if you're worried about that day of judgment that Jesus clearly teaches, when you get to heaven and God asks you, why should I let you into my eternity? I pray this will be your answer. It will be my answer. Because I cling to the cross of Christ. It's because I know what he did for me on that cross. And by grace through faith, I've been forgiven. And the Father in heaven will say, come on in. That's the truth. So if you're worried about that day of judgment, you receive Jesus today and you know the gospel of grace and you never have to worry about facing the Father in heaven. But let me also tell you that even though we are not saved by our works, please understand we are saved for good works. That is clear in the scripture that those of us who've been saved by the grace of Jesus are called to work hard for his glory. So one more time, we are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. We are saved for good works. And that's partly what this parable is all about. Even though we now bypass the day of judgment by grace through faith in Jesus, we are still held accountable for our good works in heaven. And those who've been faithful here who love Jesus with his mina, who've expanded it, will have responsibilities in heaven because we've proved our faithfulness here. Well done, good servant. So the application of today's message is simply this. Don't shirk hard work. If you're a follower of Jesus especially, don't shirk hard work. Say it with me. Don't shirk hard work. You're called to work hard for the glory of the kingdom. You're called to make money, expand minas, which were monies in that day, for the purpose of expanding the kingdom of heaven. So... How do you do that? First of all, kill complacency. Kill complacency. Have a right view of God. A right view of God. He's not austere and unkind and unfair. He is a loving, good daddy who has his best desires for you. Also realize that work is a good gift from God. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God created the world in original intent, perfect from all sin. And one of the things God gave Adam to do was work, and it's called good. God called work good. And he said to Adam, first of all, dress, till, and keep the land, and secondly, name the animals. God authored mental and manual labor, and he called it good. It's only in Genesis 3 in the fall that man especially starts to work hard to find his identity in his work. That's wrong. Your work can never give you eternal identity. That's a part of the fall. That's a part of sin. But work is a good gift from God that he desires all of us to use for his glory. In fact, he's given us the ability to be co-creators with him in this world. 
Secondly, work hard and earn. God would want you to do that. The mina, remember, is all you are and all you have. Every person on this earth has been given a mina, all that God gives us and all we are. Therefore, he wants us to work hard with the mina that he's given us and expand it for his kingdom. Hard work. Michael Jordan, in the 1980s, was a very slim, lithe, gifted athlete. For those of you who know your NBA history, you know that for three straight years, the Detroit Pistons eliminated the Chicago Bulls from the Eastern Championship. They did so by what Chuck Daly, the coach of the Pistons, called the Jordan Rules in the playoffs. He put three huge guys, Rick Mahorn, Bill Lambeer, somebody else, to always follow Jordan around, and whenever he got near the basket, to knock him to the ground, to take away his physical strength. Well, after Detroit eliminated Chicago for the third straight season, Jordan called his personal trainer, and he said, I've got to get stronger. So I'm in L.A. right now, and I'm flying to Phoenix. I'm going to arrive at 2 o'clock in the morning. We play the Lakers, and now I want you to meet me in Phoenix, and I'm going to start lifting weights regularly, and I'm not going to miss any time together. His personal trainer said to him, well, Michael, you're you're flying in at two o'clock in the morning. You want to meet at seven in the morning to begin your weightlifting program? He said, no, meet me in the lobby at two o'clock in the morning. We begin the weight training process. From then on, his strength and conditioning coach said, Michael Jordan never missed a lift. Whether he was on the road, wherever he was, He would always go in, day in, day out, and get his lifts in. Slowly but surely, he got stronger and stronger. The untold story of Michael Jordan's extraordinary giftedness is his relentless hard work in the weight room over several years. And for those of you who know your NBA basketball history, you know that was the beginning point. For the next year, the Bulls eliminating the Detroit Pistons and the Jordan rules no longer applying. He was too strong. He overcame it and led to six NBA championships because of his commitment not to shirk hard work. Robert Half, an employment specialist, said, hard work without talent is a shame, but talent without hard work is a tragedy. John Wooden, who won 12 NCAA college basketball championships in a row would always ask his players after every practice and every game, did I play the best I could? Did I give 100%? When I played basketball, especially in middle school and high school, I would always call my dad after a game and go, dad, how'd you think I played? I always wanted to hear from him, oh, son, you did just great. And he was very affirming. But here's the first question he would always ask me, son, Did you give it your best? He was trying to teach me the value of a work ethic. You can always hold your head high with hard work. Whether you win or lose, you can always hold your head high if you know you worked as hard as you can. When I was in high school, I wanted to play collegiate basketball more than anything else in the world. I was a relatively gifted athlete, but I had my limitations. Six foot, eight inches tall, but relatively white, which means I couldn't jump very high. But I would not let anyone outwork me. 
I read a quote from Bill Bradley, who was an All-American at Princeton, played in the NBA, a Rhodes Scholar, and he lived by this quote in basketball. He said, when I'm not practicing, somebody else is practicing, and when we meet, he's going to win. I drove myself. I worked so hard to earn a four-year scholarship to North Carolina because of a work ethic that my dad helped instill within me. Let me address the myth of overnight success. We sometimes hear that term. There are very, very few success stories that didn't have to work hard to become successful. For example, the Beatles. Do do you know who the Beatles are? Okay, good. The great rock group from the 1960s. They burst onto the scene in 1964, and many people said, oh, an overnight sensation. Did you know the Beatles played over 1,200 different gigs in out-of-the-place restaurants and clubs before their first hit ever made it. Practically everyone who's successful has had to work long and hard hours for that success to occur. Malcolm Gladwell, who wrote the book Tipping Point, said that every successful person usually spends at least 10,000 hours crafting their trade. He said, Practice isn't the thing you do once you're good. It's the thing you do to make you good. And the fear of failure, like this guy with the one Mina head, I was afraid of you. Many of you aren't willing to risk anything because of a fear of failure. Let me first of all tell you, you're not a failure unless you choose not to get up again. You may have failed, so what? A lot of people fail. But you're only a failure, your identity being a failure, if you never try again. Most everyone who's been imminently successful has been a failure at one time or another in his or her life. Thomas Edison, for example, the inventor of the electric light bulb, tried 10,000 different ways to invent the light bulb. His assistant on the 10,000th failure said, aren't you ready to give up? Edison responded, no, now I know 10,000 ways not to do it. Walt Disney was fired from his first job because he lacked new, creative, imaginative ideas. Go figure. (laughs) Did you know that Walt Disney went bankrupt on three different occasions before he finally succeeded in one way or another? My college coach, Dean Smith, at one time college basketball's all-time winningest coach in basketball's Hall of Fame, became North Carolina's coach in 1962. Did you know in 1964, he was hung in effigy by the student body? Not once, but twice. The question during that season was not would he become one of college basketball's great coaches. The question then was, would he last through the season? Yet during that time period, he told me he learned something very important. First of all, he doesn't control a whole lot. He can only do the best that he can do and entrust God with the outcomes. And he continued to do so with hard work, and ultimately, the results came. But it was still another 20 years before he won his first NCAA championship. Hard work. And just to be fair, and to paint this illustration in another shade of blue, Mike Krzyzewski at Duke University. (laughs) Mike Krzyzewski, during his first three years at Duke, many people wanted him fired. They didn't think he was a good coach. And look what's happened. And if you ask him, he would tell you, it's only because I devoted myself to keep working hard and trust the results to take care of themselves. Jeff Cohen, a researcher, said, no one becomes great without at least 10 years of very hard work. 
10 years, I have young pastors come to me regularly and say, I want what you've got. And I go, well, are you willing to go through what I've gone through? From the lips of Thomas Edison, he said, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. Jesus in Matthew 5.41 talks about going the extra mile. If someone asks you to go one, go two. And I think he's trying to illustrate, at least partly, the importance of hard work and going beyond what people ask. And it makes a huge impression upon them, especially his followers. Again, from Thomas Edison, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. And he also said, no one can ever drown in sweat. Michelangelo, the famous painter, once said, if people only knew how hard I've worked to gain mastery, my work wouldn't seem so wonderful at all. Hard work. It equals sacrifice, getting up early, staying focused, working extra hard, no blame, no excuses. From John Wooden again, If you don't have to work hard to get something, it's probably not worth getting. That very famous writer, Anonymous, once said, elbow grease is your best polish. Elbow grease is your best polish. Maya Angelou, the famous poet who at the end of her life was a North Carolinian, said, nothing will work unless you do. Nothing will work unless you do. Please understand this also. Hard work doesn't equal busyness. Hard work equals production. There are studies that are being done now that say American workers work about 50% of their days. They try to spend enough time to impress their boss, but the rest of the time they spend it in breaks and idle chatter. You want to impress your boss? Work hard. You want to raise? Work hard. You want to raise? Don't complain about your boss. Those kind of things make a difference in his heart. Let me address for a second, you millennials, your worth ethic is horrible. It's just horrible. And you expect to have what it's taken a lifetime for us to work for. If you want to impress those people over, you work hard. And then be patient. And over time, your benefits will come. Now listen, I understand Part of your reality may be that you looked at boomers and even your exer parents, and you saw divorces. You, you saw your dads and even your moms working hard and hard and hard, never at home and not having a relationship with you. Nothing could be worse. So yes, you're called to balance family and hard work. I know from my perspective that I gave my life to my wife and my kids. I did as much as I could to love her and to love my kids. My kids spell love, T-I-M-E. And I've given my life to build a strong family. So I've committed myself to my family, but I've worked hard. And I've tried to balance the two. So balance the two, but just make sure that you work hard and not expect to get everything immediately. It just doesn't work that way. In fact, quick rabbit trail. I think this parable is a clear statement from Jesus about the beauty and value of free enterprise and capitalism. There are really only two options in the world, capitalism or socialism. And capitalism, though with its flaws, is the best system there is. What does capitalism do? It invites people 
to choose to use the minas, the gifts they have to the full. It's the choice to try to make as much money as you possibly can. And that's not a bad thing. The question is, what happens when you get the treasure? If you find your identity in it and only to buy more and more, that's wrong. That's what we've been trying to look at the last couple of weeks. But I want to exhort all of you, make millions of dollars. I hope and pray everybody in this room right now becomes a multimillionaire. Amen? I hope you all do. Work hard. And there's nothing in the Bible about the redistribution of wealth. It's not there. The call is for individuals to work hard and earn a lot of money. But for what purpose? To advance the kingdom of God. That's the reason you want to make money, to advance the kingdom of God. God wants every industrialist to use his meanness for his glory, not to amass and hoard, but for his glory. Have a strong work ethic. Don't shirk hard work. Use the capitalist system. Use personal responsibility. Use the gifts God's given you. Use free enterprise. Just make sure that once you get it, you use it for God's glory. That way you'll always avoid the perils of being a treasure hunter. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about what we can learn from our failures. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope. David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center. And the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bob? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomasboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up all the meals will shift to the dream center with the kitchen you helped us do so we're so grateful for you guys god bless you god bless moments of hope and we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry thank you very much
I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. Hello, Jen. It's great being with you as well. Well, you called this morning's e-devotion, Make Failure Your Friend. And I'm not quite sure where you're going to go with this one. Okay, well, I'm glad you asked. I'll be more than happy to share with you the truth I'm trying to give to everyone today. Here it is. Everybody's failed. Every person in the world has tried something that hasn't worked, whether it's in a job or a marriage or a relationship or trying out for a team, whatever it might be, we've all failed. And here's what I want to say. So what? (laughs) So what? That does not mean you're a failure. Just because you failed, that does not mean you're a failure. So what people do is when they fail, they go to the fact, I'm a failure, which means their identity is in their failure and nothing could be farther from the truth. I point people to the life of Peter. I mean, if anybody failed Jesus, it was Peter. He denied him not once, not twice, but three times. And yet, with Peter, first of all, in Mark 16, 7, when the angels announced to the disciples that Jesus would meet them in Galilee, they said to them, go to Galilee and tell Peter. He was singled out from all of the others to make sure that he knew that Jesus said, I'm going to meet you again. You're still loved by me. And then, of course, there's the John 21 chapter where Jesus restores him to ministry with that fabulous walk by the Sea of Mm -hmm. Tiberias, where Jesus asked him three times, do you love me more than these, Mm -hmm. (laughs) more than these fishing instruments, more than these other disciples? Do you really love me? And of course, Peter said, yes, three times, I know you love me. And that's when Jesus restored him to his call. This Peter, who was a failure when Jesus was being crucified and laid in the tomb, later becomes the head of the entire Christian church. Mm. He's called the rock. He goes from Simon, which means son of the dove, wishy-washy, flitting back and forth, to Peter, the rock, the one on whom the entire church's confession of faith in Jesus is built. So therefore, if Peter can be given a second, third, fourth chance, so can we as well. You're only a failure if you never try again. You're only a failure if you never get up again. If you have failed, so what? Learn from the experience, get up again, because your identity is solely and completely in Jesus. And last time I checked, he uses everything, all things together for good, teaching us through them for our good and his glory. This is so good. And it reminds me of this concept of grit. You know, some of, they say some of the most successful people in life are those who have failed. And I think that we do our kids a disservice when we don't let them fail and experience those emotions and and able to get back up again and move on with it and right. get gritty. Right. Well, Mitch Daniels, who's the president of Purdue University, has recently said that they're looking less at GPA, grade point average for kids who are applying to college, and looking more to grit point average, mm-hmm. <laughs> their ability to persevere through problems in their applications because Every study that I've read says that one of, if the major characteristic for success in life is this, perseverance. Mm -hmm. Keep on keeping on. Getting up when you fail, not if you fail. When you do so, it's a key 
movement for success in life. So powerful. Thank you so much for these thoughts today. Well, thank you, listeners, and make failure your friend. When you do so, you're walking with Jesus faithfully. And if you'd like to receive these daily e-blasts from me, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there. They're free of charge from my heart to yours, 7 a.m. every morning, arriving in your inbox to give you a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for wisdom to prevail at our borders.